Hello and welcome to the Detour Live. Just when you thought 2020 had run out of surprises, they've dug into the kit bag and they've pulled out another big one again. I'm joined by four-time national road champion Johnny Trevorrow, Olympic gold medalist Scott McGorry and Northcote Cycling Club champion way back in the day, Matthew Keenan. Fellas, I'll start with you, Ify. Um, what was the breaking news you had this afternoon? Well, we were going to have uh, Phil Liggett on and uh, talk about his uh, release of the wonderful movie they've made about Phil, which is about to come out. And I was talking to one of my sources in the team, telling them, and said, oh, I think you might have something else to talk about. I said, what? He said, well, I'll tell you this. And so he, I heard the story, but I was sworn to secrecy. But, um, yeah, so, of course, it's a, a tragedy for, for the team. No riders, uh, Mitchell and Scott, have been found positive, but uh, four staff members, and uh, so uh, they've had to uh, withdraw, which is just a shame. We, we've got uh, young Lucas Hamilton, who really was starting to hit his uh, straps, that ride, uh, the other day at the mountain was just very, very uh, uh, good. Like jumping away from race favourites like that. So it looked like a, a top 10 for him. And, and same for young Jai Hindley, uh, also uh, top 10. And both of them could have even moved even higher. So uh, just a shame. Uh, Jay's still in the bike race. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it's just a, a real tragedy for the team. And... I know we're all going to – the elephant in the room. Can, can this bike race make it to Milan? I've got serious doubts. Well, that's well, the question. Did you actually – did you just explain exactly what has happened? You said that they've tested positive, but, um, you know, what the announcement was that's come out that we're all obviously devastated about. What do you mean? Sorry, mate, I missed that. Oh, I wasn't sure. Well, I, you think you, I think you answered the question. I, don't, I think you might want to clear up exactly what the presser was then, Scooter. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, yeah obviously, um, so several positive COVID-19 tests at the Giro today. Unfortunately, four members of the Mitchelton Scott team, but the staff members, not any of the riders. We had Simon Yates test positive who left the race. None of the other riders have tested positive in the two additional tests they've had on the riders since then. But unfortunately, four staff members, and the protocol is if you have two or more staff members per team, test positive, the team is out. So Mitchell and Scott has had to withdraw from the Giro d'Italia. Also a positive test from one of the big contenders, Stefan Kloisweik, who uh, rides for the Jumbo Visma team. So he is also tested positive for COVID-19. There is also another rider from Sunweb, but it hasn't been announced just who it is. We'll speculate about that in just a moment. And also a staff member from AG2R and also one from Ineos. So lots of positive COVID-19 tests and the rest day. And the question is, you just said, Dan, how long is this race going to be able to continue for? What do you reckon, Kino? We're we just delaying the inevitable? Not sure. Well, when we had the Simon Yates case, we had the interview with Matt White and spoke about the fact that they'd taken control as much as they possibly could. They'd tested everybody on the team and they'd all come back negative. And now we get to the rest day and they're coming back positive. So that makes me really nervous about those other teams that Scott has just mentioned. As he said, yeah. Ineos, AG2R, Yumbo Visma and Sunweb. So there's four more teams who have confirmed COVID cases. And I've just had confirmation that the rider from Sunweb, who has been confirmed as testing positive for the coronavirus, is Michael Matthews. 
So one of the big wow. hopes of Australian cycling is out of the race as well. So the dominoes keep on falling. Well, I mean, Whitey often talked about, you know, the bubble is working, but you've got to ask yourself, is it? Because they can control the controllables, but if you can't control it for 24 hours, seven days a week, then essentially that bubble can be penetrated and people can test positive because you're relying on the staff and the hotels and um, random punters. And it, all it takes is is one person to be positive that touches the door handle, is what he said. Uh, and that could be enough to bring down a team uh, from the Giro. So uh, what, what are they got to do, Ify, to, to change Look, things up? You know... It, it, it's a real challenge now. We're just finding out from 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 Australia, actually, from the science lab in Australia, that it stays on a lot of surfaces for a lot longer than they thought, like for weeks, on some uh, metal and glass surfaces. But the, the scary thing is that, that was a third test in three days for, for Mitchell and Scott, and they were negative, negative, and then the last one positive. So it's just weird how, how this is all panning out. So. I know that they feel that um, that Simon had it from very early on in Sicily. Uh, there are some little maybe Brent can take that a bit further, but they they feel he's been he's been racing for a week with it. So um, yeah, look, uh, I, I, I'm, as Maddie was just saying, I think we're going to find you know more uh, positive tests popping up. But I'll tell you what, they can't do. What they can't do now is accept those negative tests and wait till the next rest day. That They've been doing that. It, it worked okay, but they can't do that now. They're going to have to keep testing over right over this next week. Well, yeah, that's absolutely. it. That's crucial, that's John. Totally crucial. Keenan, like this, this is not a little um, incident in terms of ramifications. You're pulling out of the second biggest, arguably, bike race in the world – I mean, that has ramifications for um, sponsors. Uh, there's a massive flow-on effect. How much pre preparation goes into a grand tour like this? Yeah, there's that. But there's also the entire perception of the sport. So the, the race continues. And say we get down to the next rest day and it's the dominoes keep on falling. There's more positives. There's more positives. And then cycling gets the reputation for being a super spreader. That's not the reputation that we want. We're still in the rebuild mode of winning back public confidence after many of the drug sagas that we had over the last 20 to 30 years. We're not in a position where we've got a whole bunch of money in the goodwill bank where we can say, hey, community, trust us. We need to do the right thing as a sport. And everybody's taking a massive hit in 2020, people on a personal level and businesses on an economic level hugely. But I think that we need to think Just breaking up a bit there, Keenan. Um, he's got a he's, look of shock on his face. Knocked you down. What were you going to say, Scooter? Uh, well, he's right. Absolutely, Matt's absolutely right. It, this is becoming. Um, you have one or two cases, and you can kind of manage it from Think a, about the bigger a picture and beyond. But this is oh. now becoming a public health issue. So once we get multiple positives from several teams and they're staying in different hotels so therefore there's the possibility of things being transmitted through different staff members from different hotels along multiple days then this becomes a serious public health issue that's bigger than sport itself so this is something that the, the organizers are certainly going to have to consider um, and while we look we had a if we talk about the actual race itself 
had a 21-year-old win the Tour de France at the moment. We've got a 22-year-old leading the Tour of Italy. And if the race stops now, he becomes the winner. There was a precedent set at the Tour de France. The managers were all told from the teams that if the race stops at any point, whoever's leading will be the overall winner. And as far as I know, that is the understanding that they all went into the Giro d'Italia with. So uh, Almeida might uh, end up being the winner of the Tour without getting all the way through to the end. Well, the other issue, um, Ken, we had Brody O'Donnell on, and they don't know enough now as the adverse effects from COVID, you know, six months, a year, two years from now. So the, the health of riders and staff has to be paramount. So there's yeah. no there's no there's no market around. Like even the financial implications, who cares? You're talking about serious health issues resulted from this. And at what point, at what point is there a number that makes the race go, okay, we've seen enough now. We, may, we might need to pull the pin. Dan, you got the wrong guest from SBS onto the show tonight. You should have had Dr. Mario <laughs> Donald on tonight because she's best placed to answer any of those. And I'll regurgitate the messages that I've heard from her regularly throughout this period is, as you just stated, we don't know enough. It hasn't been around long enough to get that longitudinal study to say, well, these are the potential risks in terms of the long-term health impacts. We simply do not know. And as Scott was talking about just a moment ago in terms of when does this race finish and if it does finish early, does the leader, does the person wearing the leader's jersey become the winner, how much does that change the way things are raced from today onwards? I mean, it can have a huge impact on what we get to watch over the next couple of days or the next week and a half or is it for the next two weeks? We don't know. The riders don't know. And what sort of stress does that create internally within the peloton? Scooter, from a rider's perspective, I was just going to say, from a rider's perspective, at what point will the riders collectively say, hang on, not enough's been happening or moving along here from a duty of care perspective? Uh, Look, I think typically when it comes to the athletes, they just want to try and get out there and get the best result they can. So there'll be certain riders that are concerned about the safety, but still are too focused on trying to win. Um, so if you're Vincenzo Nibali, who wants to try and win another Giro d'Italia, he's won all three Grand Tours in the past, you know, he would be desperate to continue on. He wants to try and get his opportunity in the next mountain stages. Um, you know, young riders that are coming through that want to get a result, they feel that the form is coming. So they, they tend to be very selfish, the athletes themselves, and perhaps sometimes they're the worst people to ask about health and safety because they're so focused on what they're trying to achieve for themselves. Of course, you'll have some riders, you know, more mature riders, that will absolutely understand the responsibility they have and perhaps the long-term effects that they may be causing to themselves or others if they do get sick. But I think uh, predominantly they're probably the worst people to, uh, to ask because, let's face it, elite sports people are typically selfish in the fact that they're so focused on trying to win for themselves. And on, he, on that, oh, sorry, sorry, just on that, I just want to pick up on the back of what Scott said. Cycling historically hasn't been very good at having the riders actually come together as a unionised group, the, the riders. There was the one example on that wet stage through Luxembourg and into, into Belgium back in 2010, I think it was, when Sylvain Chavanel was off the front, everybody was crashing, and Fabian Cancellara got the peloton to stop. But even though he got the peloton to stop and ride really slowly across the finish line, People that were racing for the green jersey, Robbie McKeown was one of them, just in case, just in case there were points awarded, they nudged their wheel across the finish line at the front of the peloton at the end of the race. It's really hard to get that cohesion. And particularly, we're not, in terms of unionising the riders in this short block of period, you've got guys in there that don't have a contract for next year. 
And you've got people who have a career, some of them have a long career, they have a 10, 15, 18 year career, but many of them, it's only three or four or five years. So they're out there to make the most of it. It's not as if this is a unionized workforce with people who are in the workforce for 40 years. It's a completely different set of circumstances. What were you going to say, John? No, just, I was talking to Brent Copeland uh, earlier, General Manager of uh, Mitchell and Scott, who's going to come on um, pretty soon and, and give us a full update of, of how this all evolved over the last 24 hours. But he was, when I mentioned uh, how, uh, how I felt for them and, uh, and how terrible it was for the riders, especially young Lucas Hamilton, he said, you know, my first thoughts are the health and safety of of these guys of the team that that is all i care about right now so he was more concerned with them to make sure they're okay than the team continuing on the zero which was nice to hear him say yeah i'm looking forward to speaking to to brent copeland i've just had another update courtesy of sbs in terms of the sunweb situation the team is continuing in the race without michael matthews in the race obviously which is good from an australian perspective and you've mentioned him already jai hinley he's just inside the top 10 and he's working for wilco calderman who's in second position overall but we keep looking to see where's the next challenger for the general classification we saw richie third at the tour de france this year Jai Hinley's one of them. Scott and John, you both saw him earlier on this year at the Jaco Herald Sun Tour where he took out the victory there. So in a day of positives, he's a positive positive to follow. <laughs> <laughs> keep on going. Yeah, oh, look, he, he's been exciting to watch. He's a very, very nice young man as well from Western Australia, always very respectful. He's the type of guy that you wonder where that that real internal drive comes from because he does just seem like a real likeable and nice too nice. Chap. Yeah, but, exactly. but he's a nice guy. What are you talking he's about? A nice he's guy. a nice guy. <laughs> so, um, but he obviously has an incredible amount of focus and drive um, to push hard and winning, you know, Jacob Herald Sun Tour this year was a great way to start what is, has been a disastrous season for, for so many. At least he got a good win early on. Um, and I've been so happy to see how well he has ridden here. Now, as you mentioned, Wilco Kelderman, he is the guy that's further up on the classification, sitting in second place for Sunweb. So Jai is there to support him. But it's nice to have two people, you know, a two-pronged attack going into the next big mountain stages if we get there. Um, yeah. We've got to wait till next Saturday for the, the next time trial and then the next mountain stage is next Sunday. I, I just don't know if we're even going to get there. Yeah, and yeah. incidentally, Jai is in ninth position overall. He's a minute and 15 seconds off the pace. Calderman is second at 30 seconds off the pace. And Jai is an okay individual time trialist. Wilco Calderman, when he was coming through the juniors and the under-23s, his nickname was Wilco Caldermerks. He's a really strong individual time trialist. Hasn't quite lived up to that nickname, John, but it's a pretty cool nickname. <laughs> well, he, he's been Dutch uh, time trial champion as well. So, yeah, I think of all the GC riders, there's no doubt he's the best time trialer. He will put everything being equal and they all stay healthy. Uh, I reckon he'll uh, put time into uh, all of the other main contenders. And we've got to put the young young Jarae or whoever you say, his Christian name, our race leader, uh, in there as well because he's also a very good time trial. I'm discounting him as a overall, which I probably shouldn't do because uh, if he's second in the in the initial uh, uh, time trial of this race in a brilliant time. So he's going to be yeah. a, a, a big chance for, for, for that time trial. I just wonder, I just don't think he can survive uh, the top peaks of the Dolomites, but he mightn't have to. <laughs> yeah, and, and he mightn't have to, John, not just because of COVID. 
What about the no. snow? Exactly. Have you seen exactly. the yeah. images coming yeah. through social media from both with the mountaintop finishes for the Vuelta and for the Giro? It is snowed in. It's been even, falling early. Even the planet is saying to the organisers, Time to, to shut it down. What are you thinking? Yeah. Time to shut it down. So, but you made a good point, Ify, um, and some questions or comments coming in. Um, Samantha says, agree with John. Testing should be happening frequently for now. It is getting quite scary. If you can get results in 15 minutes, what is your excuse? You're just going to have to do it nightly. Like, you can't take the risk. You can't take the yeah. risk of 24 hours where you could have it. This is different now from the Tour de France. The Tour de France, things seem to be somewhat okay and they were happy to just wait until the first rest day. There was, you know, only a couple of positives, no, none of the riders, and then they could turn a blind eye and just wait till the next rest day. They were desperate to make it all the way through to Paris and the best way to not have positive tests is to not test at all. This is now a different situation. We've had so many uh, positive tests on this uh, second, right, on the first rest day. So it, it really is a public health and safety situation now, and they do need to make sure that they test far more than they were predicting to. Yeah, the other element on top of that, Scott, is that during the tour, the amount of community positives was a lot less than what there is now. Mm. The community is going through another way where there's a lot more within the community. And as we've heard from Matt White throughout this podcast, when they're in those hotels, they're in the hotel sharing the breakfast buffet with other guests who aren't part of the bubble of the Giro d'Italia. It's such a weird time of the year because normally riders, they're on their break now. So they're already in the mental space of, all right, now I can go on a holiday, I can go back to Australia, or I can visit friends and family or whatever. But there's so many riders that are under so much stress at this particular time. Look at, we were talking the other night about Jay McCarthy. You know, you've got a super talent here. He hasn't had the best of seasons. Um, guys like that, Keto, must be, you know, in a, in a really stressful period because if you don't have a contract and you can't race, I mean, what are your options? Yeah, and I think we saw that impact on his decision-making just the other day when he, when he had a crash at Liège, Baston Liège. He went smack bang into a median strip, one of the signs that said keep left, and he didn't. Well, keep right, as it is in Belgium. <laughs> and he went the wrong side and he went straight into the middle of it. He picked himself up, he got going, eventually he had to abandon the race. Now, Jay is a guy who I hope does get a contract, but he's running out of opportunities to show himself. There's only a handful of races still to come. The last really big one in terms of the Spring Classics is this Sunday with the Tour of Flanders, which is on SBS. Then we've got the Walter, which is just around the corner from getting underway as well. But will that happen? Fingers crossed. Let's hope that it does. Let's hope that Spain gets in a position to be able to control things and a guy like Jay gets to go to the Walter and prove himself. So even though this year there's been limited racing, you've mentioned the fact that we're in a period where they're normally heading towards rest. Psychologically, it's been really taxing. That whole period where they weren't racing, that period of uncertainty, and Scott and John can talk to this as former athletes, it's really stressful, that lack of certainty. And mm. then you come into racing where there's less offered, there's more at stake, and you don't have a contract for next year. The Richter scale is through the roof in terms of the pressure. And I think that we're seeing a lot of riders under that level of stress right now. That's no, 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 no doubt about that, mate. And, and look, you know, with teams like uh, NTT and uh, uh, CCC uh, uh, stopping, um, I mean, some of the CCC riders have already gone across to the new whatever that team is going to be called, but uh, NTT haven't uh, done any deals as yet. I just can't imagine someone like uh, uh, um, um, 
Jay. What's his name? Jay McCarthy. Not getting a team. Uh, he's just too good a rider not to be racing at the top level. Yeah, so I'm sure he is. But David, yeah. yeah, he is, right? But David McKenzie won a stage of the Giro. Then he won a stage of the Tour Down Under. His team collapsed and he was out of, without a team for the rest of that year and had a huge impact on the rest of his career. This is now a buyer's market. And I think, Scott, you mentioned the team that you were with in 2003. That collapsed in February. And there were half the guys on that team that was the end of their career. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So Bo, Bo Hamburger was probably the, the biggest name at the time, even Quananta. Those two riders picked up contracts, minimal contracts. They didn't get paid a lot of money in 2003, but they were big enough names with, you know, great Palmares that, that teams would mm. still want them. But the other half of the team, it's like, well, sorry, we're full. Budget's done. Um, and it's far more restrictive now in terms of the numbers within your teams as well. Look, I've been, even just these last couple of days, just riding around Bendigo with, with the, the bunches, you know, 10 riders per bunch. And, and the big bunches that they have in Bendigo have been split up into several several groups now uh, because you're not allowed to have more than 10. But most of these riders up here that I ride with are part of National Road Series teams. So it's absolutely right, Matt, in that the, uh, the World Tour teams are desperate and they've had this period of lockdown, period of training on Zwift or on the home trainers or limited road training not knowing when they'd start racing again. And I've, I've heard the same thing from the local guys here. That they're just trying to look for the National Road Series and they keep training because, well, maybe there'll be a race on soon. Some states are opening up, South Australia, Queensland, they're starting to get some races. Victoria, there's still none. And there's just been this total amount of uncertainty where they keep training because, well, maybe we're going to race. Oh, well, no, we're not going to yet, but then some states do. And that's what the World Tour riders have been feeling all the way through. And, and I think it's something, probably, probably the biggest name that was affected by that may have been Peter Sagan because, yeah. you know, he went into the Tour de France certainly underdone by his, his standards. Um, and we knew at the start of the season he didn't want to do any virtual racing, whereas some of the other professionals embraced it because there was nothing else to do. It was a way to keep fit. Um, so it's certainly been so much uncertainty that's made uh, it's very unpredictable for the riders. That has, as you've said, Matt, certainly um, added to the mental stress for 2020. Yeah, the key word there is uncertainty. Everybody in any work, walk of life can put themselves into this situation of uncertainty. Yeah. If you're in a position where you don't know if you're going to have a job to go back to, that is stressful. And that is the position that a lot of these professional athletes, whether they be cyclists or a bunch of other sports as well, now find themselves in. Well, if it's, you know, desperate times and when you're desperate, you usually make the worst decisions as well. So it's not good if you're right out of contract and you're ringing your manager and you're at the point now where you're like, mate, just send me anywhere. Send me anywhere. Um, what, what would you be doing if you were a rider? If you, would you just be going, mate, I want to start at Flanders. I'm going to rip it a new one. Yeah, I'd probably sit back, have a beer, have a cigarette and think about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, saw, we saw that the interview from uh, Mark Cavendish after Gen Vervelgem, you know, the other day where he just, well, it wasn't even an interview in the end. They asked him questions and he just broke down crying and said that this could be my last ever race and then rode off. Um, you know, he, he was unconsolable. Um, so there's what a ride of it. Beautiful. Desperate. Yeah, it's desperate to, it's a couple of things in that. He's desperate to keep racing because he feels that he hasn't, come to the end the way he wanted to. Um, and, you know, I guess he feels that there, there's still something he can contribute. Uh, a guy that won 30 stages of the Tour de France and he's breaking down in tears because he just realised that that could have been, been his last race. 
I'm really hoping that at the very least, Bahrain McLaren put him on the start list, on the start line on Sunday for the Tour of Flanders, and then he gets in the early breakaway. So just in case it is his last race, we can talk about him and social media can go bonkers about him for the whole time that he's in the breakaway and celebrate what has been an extraordinary career. But just on that, don't you normally get some bullshit race to finish on? Like a crit that means nothing that everyone's... You know, sort of rigged that you're going to win. Well, isn't that normally how it works? I haven't got any of those going at the moment, though, Dan. That's the issue. There ain't any. They do that as a um, you do that as a tribute. So they'll organise a race. um, You know, whether it may be you know the Italian riders or you know British or whatever, they'll organise a race. But that's already pre-planned. They know that you know this is going to be my last season. Mark Cavendish wants to continue. He doesn't want this Uh. to be his last season. But Bahrain haven't committed to next year with him. No one else has stepped up to say, well, we'll grab your mark for another year. So he feels that, you know, that's what came through in that, uh, you know, that interview was that what, he what, feels that this right, could be the end of it. One of the interesting things, Dan, about those special races they have to finish a cyclist's career is that more often than not, that rider ends up winning it. It's unbelievable. Go, go figure. It's cycling gods. <laughs> Sometimes they get beaten just on the line too. Hey, we've got a stat here from the Wheel Wizard. Uh, he says there is 88 to 89. It's a pretty close estimate. Uh, World Tour riders without contracts, plus yeah. all the staff from teams finishing. So that's yeah. that's a fair few in the pot. Um, this is a good point. Uh, Warren wants to know, is it time for Zwift Pro Races to offer big cash prizes. Now, that could be interesting. I spoke about that today, actually, um, with uh, so Sam Crone, who uh, rides for one of the Italian uh, – sorry, one of the uh, Japanese teams, Bendigo Lad. And he's – they've got the Japan Cup, I think, this weekend. Um, it's going to be a virtual race. And he's going to line up for his team in, in the virtual world. And they were talking about, you know, the races that they, they were going to do in Japan. They, they're actually going to try and have him and Robbie Hucker, the two riders from Bendigo that ride for this Japanese team, to go over to Japan because they had been doing some races over there. But they'd have to be quarantined for two weeks, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I said, look, it's almost time where we need to start making these virtual races more than just a bit of fun for people and actually make it a proper, you know, legitimate, you know, online sport as, as gaming is. There's massive prize money in gaming, and I think Zwift maybe has the, the capital now to start uh, injecting some of that. When you do the virtual car racing, uh, my brother-in-law, Dennis, sent me through a screenshot because um, he's been doing it this year. He got the console in lockdown and started doing all these virtual online car racing things. And one of the races he sent through, the prize money was $10,000 to win for a, a virtual car race. So, And cycling hasn't done anything like that yet. So perhaps that is the next step that we might start to, to do. The problem Just, is if you offer cash, there's going to be weight doping. People no, will start twisting it. That is a problem. No, that, but that, that can be monitored, and there's been people that have been disqualified from races for weight doping. We had a bunch of races this year for the National Road Series on the Zwift platform, and it was really good opportunity for riders to actually get a chance to race. Just before I came on with you guys, there was a story on ABC, so as credible as it gets for an Australian news service, about e-racing and with Zwift aiming to be in the Olympics in 2028. This year... just a month, just a week or so ago, it was announced the Australian team for the first E-World Championships. The UCI is getting on board. I think it's it's a really good step in the right direction. One of the guys that I play tennis with, he's known as Jay Dizzle when he plays online. He's Australia's number one for Super Smash Brothers. 
He doesn't need a part-time job while he's, while he's at university. He's 21 years of age. He gets flown to Vegas and he gets paid to go to Vegas to play a computer game. He's my son's hero. My daughter looks up to Amanda Spratt and Rafa Nadal and my son looks up to Jay Dizzle, who's a pimpled-faced kid that plays tennis with my son's dad, me. Unbelievable. Well, you remember B-Roll, who used to do the film at the Tour de France with you, B-roll. Scotty. He has, a, he has a name, doesn't he? Ben Miller. Yeah, that's he, had the, he had the world <laughs> record for um, Bowser's level on um, Mario Kart. <laughs> Bowser's oh, really? Kingdom or whatever. Yeah, the world record. I didn't know that. He told me that first day of film school, and I was like, mate, you are a legend because I used to play the game. Hey, uh, um, sure. a, I am a dinosaur. I am. I'm listening to you. Well, we weren't talking to you, John. You don't, you don't know what a no-friendo is. Joey, um, just, just look up the shizzle dizzle, and he, you'll see he's the man in, in uh, online tennis. That's it. Stuart yeah. McIntosh wants to know, Keno, please explain what weight doping is. So it's all about your power to weight when it comes to racing online. So if I produce 300 watts, and I weigh 80 kilograms versus you produce 300 watts and you, you weigh 70 kilograms, you're going to go faster. But mm. if I actually weigh 80 and I lie about my weight on the computer and I say I'm 70, well, it's going to have me going faster than what I actually would in the real world. So there mm. is a system now with the verified races on Zwift where you have to verify your weight, where you have evidence of you weighing yourself that then gets downloaded onto uh, the Zwift Power application and if there's any major variations like if somebody all of a sudden has been racing at 73 kilograms for five weeks and then the next race they're 68 well it gets flagged pretty quickly i've got a i've got a um a situation there matt on that um, and because i struggle with so matt and i did an event on on saturday and i was way out the back and i've been training a fair bit lately so i was quite disappointed with my performance but um oh you should have won now, scott no i should have uh, no i shouldn't but um what if so? If you're say like myself, ex-professional, but if you if it, is it still weight doping? If you put your weight down to somewhere a bit above what you were weighed when you were racing as a professional, so you don't go lighter than you ever were, <laughs> because all the extra weight I've got at the moment is fat. Fat doesn't make you go fast. There's no power in fat. So if I just strip off a couple of kilos, kilos, but don't go below what I what used to race at, surely that's not doping. Oh, but it's, it, slow, it slows you down on the hills and you can ah. still see that weight at the cafe. But it's virtual. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, it's you're, trying, you're, trying to, you're trying to justify weight doping, mate. Uh, you're in that's, very uh, dangerous real, iffy, That's an iffy story, that one. Yeah. That sounds very <laughs> yeah. much like John tomorrow. <laughs> um, before we get uh, Brent on, do we want to actually preview the, the stage or are we just sort of... Yeah, well, we might, right? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Look at that finale. I haven't had a really close look at it, but that finish, that last... 40 kilometres, I think I might have a late night. That looks fantastic. Yeah, yeah. it does look good, doesn't it? I, I was going to say it's a Michael Matthews stage. But it, it, it was. Honestly, <laughs> Not anymore. It was, it was um, yeah. It looks yeah, like the classics. Yeah. It really does look like and, – and, look, the yeah. fastest rider in the race is Arnold Demar, but he's also the best over hills of the sprinters at the moment, and that probably includes Peter Sagan. Sagan normally would be over the hills a bit better than, than Arnold. Um, category four is the last hill, but you've got a, a few more before that. I think Arnold DeMar still is the favourite because he's just exceptional at the moment. I saw a post just a moment ago, Scott, about one of those climbs. I think it might be the category three climb that was at about 40 k at 138 kilometre mark. There's a section on that where it's really narrow and it's got a section at 23%. So if you're Bora Hans goer, I'm anticipating you're going to back Peter Sagan to be at 
better on that climb than Arno Damar is and you try and make it really tough up that climb to try and get rid of the fastest sprinter in the race because so far Peter Sagan hasn't found out a way to beat Arno Damar in a sprint finish. This is going to be a really hectic stage. Yeah, it is. So, that, so it's, it's three kilometres long at 8.7% average for the whole length, but there's uh, you know, a good section of it that's above 10%. So that's nasty. That is really nasty. Yeah, that's a proper and as you climb. Say, that's the first of the last series of hills. So if you get gapped there, you're probably not getting back on. Okay. Our special guest, Brent Copeland, has arrived. Brent, thanks for joining the detour, mate. It's been a pretty hectic 24 hours. What, what's the latest with you guys? Yeah, thank you. Hi to everyone. Um, definitely hectic 24 hours. Actually, hectic couple of days since we heard about the, the, the positive uh, COVID case of Simon. Um, so, you know, we've all been walking a bit on eggshells in the last few days and we had two negative tests both Friday, Saturday evening. We did uh, the, the COVID tests with the RCS. So they all came back negative for all the staff members and riders. So we decided to carry on and push through until the rest day, which which was yesterday where they did the, the RT-PCR tests, um, which unfortunately showed up with four staff members being uh, COVID positive. So after that happened, uh, the, the decision was, um, was pretty much made on its own, you know, on a social responsibility level. Uh, for the health and and well-being of our riders and staff, uh, we we had to make this drastic decision of withdrawing the team from the Giro, which which is unfortunate for everyone, unfortunate for the fans, unfortunate for the race. Um, but uh, we just feel it is the right decision for 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 like I say once again, the health and well-being of the riders and staff. Yeah, hi Brent. Yeah, John Javaro here. Now, in the Tour de France, you wouldn't have had to make the decision because uh, having four staff members like that, you would have had to leave. But the rules were just slightly different here. Is that correct? Uh, no, that's uh, you. After having two, uh, so if you have two roommates staying in the same room uh, and they're both positive, then you would have to leave the race uh, with four uh, staff members. Uh, you know, it becomes a matter of how many people have these positive COVID cases been in contact with. And one of the members that is uh, positive is our uh, our doctor. And the doctor's obviously in contact with the riders continuously. So that's a decision that pretty pretty much made on its own. Yeah. Brent, Matthew um, Keenan here. I haven't had a chance to meet you in the past. So nice to meet you firstly. Yeah, from, I, from a race perspective, at what point... Do you think the race should make the call about the greater community health? Because we've seen not just your team, but there's been other positives as well within the race from riders and team staff. Oh, it's a really difficult decision. Um, it's a difficult one to call that. You know, I think this also comes down to an ethical point of view. Um, the government, I would imagine, would start taking a closer look at the Giro at the moment because if this starts to become a cluster, then it means you take in this cluster through the whole of the Giro and as they move up north now, that would mean the government would definitely be taking a look at it. Uh, I know that they haven't tested all of the caravan and all the organization of the Giro yet. I believe that's been done today. So they've only done 591 tests yesterday, which is all of the, the team staff and riders. Um, Let's hope there's not more positive COVID cases, but 
if, if they do the whole caravan and there are more, I can imagine that the government would start to clamp down and would have to take a drastic decision. Uh, the other thing we were saying, oh, sorry, just, just uh, well, I've got you there, mate. Uh, we were talking just before you came on that because of this situation, they can't then wait till the next rest day to do a lot more testing. They've got to just keep testing uh, from now on right through the event, I would think. Uh, absolutely, they have to. They have, they'll have to do that, especially the teams that have positive cases now, which is Sunweb. Um, unfortunately, Michael Matthews is one of them, and Kreiswerk from Jumbo Visma, uh, and then there's Ineos and AG2R who have staff members. So those teams, especially, will have to be tested on a daily basis. Uh, the problem is which test is effective and. How many days is this virus in your system until it actually shows up as a positive case? And that's the question that nobody's able to answer at the moment because with it being a new virus, nobody knows, there's no history behind it. Um, so I think there's a lot of uneasiness between team managers, between teams, between riders on what is the actual situation, even though there's negative cases that are coming up, is everyone negative? and we're riding next to each other, they're working with one another, even though we have the bubbles, which has worked really well. Um, but still, you know, it could become a cluster and just spread without the peloton. There's, sorry, just, just quickly, Scott, before you have to tweet in a question, I, just more a comment than a question. When I saw that Michael Matthews had tested positive, my instant thought was, I wonder if he got it from Simon Yates, his teammate for next year, and they're having a chat, getting along, preparing for 2021. But, you know, there's this complete <laughs> speculation, but just thinking, well, you know, you don't know how it spreads, do you? No, it's, you know, how do you, how do you understand how Simon picked it up, where it was picked up, how do you go back to, to when it had happened? It's, it's really difficult to understand, yeah. Um, hi, Brent. Scott McGrory here, mate. Um, I'm just wondering if, if you get an idea or a sense of the public perception through Italy, considering how bad they were hit earlier in the year. Now, the Giro, of course, is so loved within the Tifosi and the Italian community. Um, and is it maybe already too early with these uh, you know, positive tests only now just coming out in the last couple of hours? But is there any sort of understanding of what the public perception is around the race continuing in the situation that it is at the moment? Um, as of now, no, but, you know, this news only broke out about an hour ago. So um, I would imagine that the public perce perception would be uh, starting to get a bit nervous, starting to be a bit aware of this, starting to be cautious. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're talking about the health and well-being of, of, of riders, staff and the general public, which is the priority for for everyone i think is definitely in our team it's the it's the priority and hence the the reason why we pulled the team from the Giro. so if the public do start to see that this is a cluster and it is starting to move through italy i definitely think there's going to be a lot of awareness from their side and this would put pressure on the government to take a a, a decision which could be drastic in the sense of stopping the Giro. So Matt, Matt, Matt mentioned... We all want the Giro to get to Milan and we, we all love watching the Giro and it's fantastic, but, you know, we've got a social responsibility here with health and uh, nobody knows what this virus really does. Um, I do want to assure everyone that everyone that's positive COVID in our team are feeling well. 
there's very mild symptoms. Uh, there's no fever whatsoever. So everyone's healthy and keeping well. That's the most important thing for us. Well, Matt, when we were chatting before, Matt uh, also spoke about just the the perception of, of cycling and the responsibility that cycling as a sport has, considering, you know, if we talk about the dark times in the past with the doping scandals that have come, this sport and this race does not need to be seen as a super spreader. So there's also a, a, you know, that public responsibility that, uh, that the sport has as well. I agree with that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the, the less negative image we can create, the better. And that's why maybe some drastic decision has to be taken if, uh, if further cases come up. What, one thing I was just thinking of then, Brent, is given that you are the first team to have to leave a race due to COVID-19 positives, they're going to want to collect a lot of data as to what's happened. So is there a process where you're having to log a lot of stuff that's happened along the way so that they can learn from this so that when we do have these bubbles down the track, we can take the findings? Because when we were talking to Matt White, he often talked about concerns, even before Simon went positive, about restaurant staff not taking proper precautions you're really relying on you know this moving circus everyone playing their part and it's very hard to control yeah dan that's right it's a it's a i would hate to be in an organizer's shoes at the moment to try organize a race because it's, it's really easy to criticize when you're in a hotel when there's other hotel when there's other public people staying in that hotel it's easy to criticize the restaurants um, in theory, it's easy, but in practice, to to follow the protocols 100% is very, very difficult, and it's very difficult for an organizer to be able to get the protocols 100% correct. Um, and this has made it difficult for the organizers, especially in the Giro. Um, they found it tremendously difficult. We've been living in our bubble, we've been forming our bubble, we've been very disciplined within our bubble. Um, to answer your question with regards to uh, the, the, the filing and the history and going back, we have to report all our details to our doctor, our medical doctor. Over and above that, there's uh, an app which the RCS and every, every race organizer has an app where every staff member and rider has to log into every morning and every evening. You have to write your name. Um, you have to write your conditions, you have to write your fever, uh, your temperature, sorry. Um, you have to write if you've got any symptoms and then you send it. And this is all logged on a platform that the organizers keep a track of everyone's uh, situation throughout the week. With regards to movement and logistics, this is all done through our medical doctor who's in contact with the UCI doctor, Dr. Bigard, who try backtrack as much as possible but you know how do you how do you find out where simon yates for example picked it up he mm. could, have been, could have been in the airplane flying over because the airplanes are all chocker block now there's no more one space between passengers it's all one passenger next to the other and the riders have to fly to get to sicily um uh, otherwise at the hotel or who knows it's it's really a, a difficult one to answer. Well, there is one solution to keep everybody in a bubble. You get every single team car and team bus to tow a Jayco around behind them. It's like Richie's <laughs> motorhome of a few years ago. No, they don't have to go to the hotel at all, Brent. It's a sponsored solution for Jerry Ryan. That's right. We'll get Jerry onto that.
<laughs> in terms of the team, Brent, you're, you're in a new role with this team and what's been a really difficult year for the team, even excluding the coronavirus, with the rumour mill circling early about will the team continue or not. Then we had the Manuela Foundation scenario and then you've come into this role as the general manager. One of my favourite quotes from Winston Churchill was, every crisis is an opportunity. No, it was, um, don't waste an opportunity out of a crisis. So for you in taking over this role as the general manager, what do you see as the opportunity in this of relaunching the team in the next season? Well, I think I agree with you. In every crisis, there's an opportunity. And this is very much the philosophy that Jerry has as well. And Jerry being such an inspirational person and always been positive. It's been fantastic working with him, first of all, because he just transmits this uh, incredible optimistic energy all the time. So um, as far as the team's concerned, I really think that we've put the ship in the right direction. We're going in the right direction. Um, there will be some slight changes that we'll make in the team for, for, for improvements as we move along. Um, that doesn't mean that things weren't working right in the past. Absolutely not. You know what what, what Shane has built up in this, and this team is phenomenal, and uh, that will never be forgotten. So, we definitely want to keep that culture of the team because the culture of this team is something special, something unique in the peloton. Um, but there are some things that we can adjust and streamline and work in a certain direction, which. I think there are opportunities and sometimes changes definitely bring opportunities which we are looking at to, to make improvements and uh, uh, I definitely think the future is brighter as we move along and you know the difficulties are, are always difficult, they're challenging but the challenges also create character and uh, I believe we, we will be back even stronger. Yeah, I've just remembered the quote more accurately, it's don't waste a crisis. Yeah. Well, you, 2020, you know, there's uh, don't waste a, a day in 2020 then. No. Well, <laughs> uh, IKEA's sales have gone up close to 40% through COVID because everyone's been, you know, outfitting themselves with home offices and, and getting furniture and stuff sorted. So uh, there's one company that's loved the COVID yeah. situation. So, well, not loved it, but it has it certainly benefited from it. Brent, one, one, common, one common question, Brent, we ask people that come on the show is, particularly during this pandemic, is, is what are some of the key things that you've found that get through really tough periods to, to get to the top of the sport or to, to see success? What are some of the lessons that the viewers and listeners can take that you've learned on your journey? What are the key elements? Um, as far as the team's concerned, I think uh, the... The staff members and personnel of the team are definitely something that uh, keep the team united. And once you have that uh, that united feeling between the, the staff members and personnel, it's definitely uh, gives more optimism and it keeps everyone positive to move in the right direction. So that's definitely something that we work on hard in this team. And it's something that was built up in the past and it's always been something that's really unique in this team. Is it true that one of the first roles that you're looking to chop is the team mascot? Because I heard he's um, he's starting to lose his way a bit. He doesn't have as much influence anymore. He's forgetting names. First onset of dementia. <laughs> <laughs> What's the thoughts there, mate? 
<laughs> what's your name again, pal? What's your name? Oh, that's right. Damn, that's right. Can't comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you got anything you want to ask Brett before we, we let him go? It's obviously a busy time at the moment. Really, really tough scenario, Brent. Good luck with actually handling you know what comes from here. I assume, you know, you've got the welter to come. Are you optimistic about that starting? Um Big question mark from everyone, from all the team managers. It's continuous discussion that's going on. Uh, the numbers in Spain are definitely increasing, especially in Madrid. So Madrid is a very big question mark of finishing in Madrid. Uh, we've seen in the last few days that the Basque country, which is where the Vuelta starts, the numbers have increased tremendously. So uh, at the moment, I would say there's a feeling of 70% yes, 30% no. But that's changing, and it's uh, the needles moving to the other direction for 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 a no at the moment. So uh, it's a difficult one. I think if we get through Skelderprice this week, we get through Flanders on the weekend. Um, I think that would be a good objective, and then we'll have to see for the welter. And then, of course, you know you've got the social responsibility decision to make as well, whether you take the team to the welter if the numbers are so high. You know, you got you got riders that have got wives at home that are pregnant, you've got riders that have got young kids, you've got staff members that have got wives at home that are pregnant, they're far away from their homes, um, they might have to sit in lockdown for 14 days far away from their homes. There's a lot of consequences that go into making these decisions. So whether the Vuelta goes ahead or not, we still have to look at the whole um, social responsibility point of view as well. One last one from me, and it's much easier, and it's on a racing note. Will Grace Brown win the Tour of Flanders on Sunday? Well, um, she's definitely got the condition to do that. She's definitely got the confidence at the moment. I think uh, finishing second at Liege um, and winning Brabant Appel was an incredible result uh, for her, for the team, for everyone. And, you know, once you get that confidence, once you know you've got that condition, uh, Flanders is a race that that does suit her, suit her characteristics. So um, with her and Anamik racing, if Anamik's recovered 100%, uh, I definitely think we've got a strong team that's going to make the racing as exciting as possible. So the short answer is yes. No yep. pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I normally don't like to give a, a, a direct answer on that because it might bring bad luck. So. <laughs> well, I said for you, mate. So you'll, yeah. you'll laugh at if he before yeah, I'd just like to uh, congratulate you, uh, Brett, on your new position as general manager. And, and uh, I'm hearing just you know, lots of positive uh, uh, stories coming through on the, on the job that you're doing. And also congratulate you on the, this special team you've got where everyone's happy and a lot of pregnant wives and, and girlfriends. I think that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a wonderful team. I really feel honoured to be to be working and uh, doing this role and uh, giving my best for 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 everyone on the team because it's a it's a it's a team that's been around for years and it's a team that when you're working on the outside of this team and you you look in uh, it's it's a team that everyone says I'd love to work on that team it's really got a great atmosphere around it a great environment at the same time very professional and. Uh, Everyone knows what they're doing. It, it's been fantastic working with the staff members, um, Whitey, Kevin, everyone. And, you know, the Australians are just such a great bunch of people to work with. Uh, the, way they, the way they're able to find that 
balance of professionalism with enjoyment is, is something that's uh, always admired. So thanks again and uh, giving it all, my, all from my side. I bet you I could predict what the final sentence Jerry Ryan said to you on your first phone call when you got the job. Welcome to the family, buddy. Well, good luck. Good luck with he tried that. To, he tried to convince me to become a Wallabies uh, fan, but yeah, that's oh, not St. Kilda is non negotiable for sure, but Wallabies, I don't <laughs> think that's that's too bad. So. But yeah, all, all the best. And thanks uh, for coming on the detour, mate. It's obviously yeah. a bit of a stressful period, but I'm sure, you know, fingers crossed, all the uh, staff will recover, Simon will recover. And uh, we look forward to, you know, hopefully getting some more racing done under the right circumstances. So all the best uh, in, the, in the next uh, chapter, mate. Great. Thank you. Good on you, Brent. Appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Cheers, Thanks, Brent. mate. Brent Copeland, GM of Mission and Scott team. Now, we've got a heap of comments and questions. Before we get to those guys, Ify, have you got your script ready to go? It's time to open up your shoulders until you find it. Okay. I, mate, what are you talking about? You were reading a script last night. You might as well pull it out again. <laughs> yes, of course, the beautiful Mitchelton Hotel experienced the history, the beauty, and the serenity of the Goldman Valley. With a beautiful news restaurant, explore the seasonal menu with wines perfectly paired. And as I mentioned uh, yesterday, it's become the go-to place for weddings and special birthdays and functions. It's It's got everything there, right on the banks of the Goulburn River. Um, I went to a 60th birthday there recently, and the whole uh, area outside of the restaurant was just set up for this birth special birthday party. It was just amazing. Um, a fantastic cellar door. We can go in and book a wine tasting. And the reason why we go into much more detail is because uh, you you shamed me into it, uh, Matty Keenan, the other day. Uh, a great day spa. You can go in there, quiet the mind, unwind the body, rediscover your balance in a setting of peace and harmony. So get down. So here's the lockdown unlocks. Get down to the beautiful hotel in the Mitchelton Winery. All right. And now it's time for a quick word from our great mates at Bike Exchange. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. <clears throat> it's a bike. 374 people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, and wherever this is. People that are looking for a bike. Or just a piece of it. Amateurs. Semi-amateurs. And pro-amateurs. This guy wants this bike, but with this crank and these bars. This could be the perfect match, but not this one. This girl has a bike to sell, and thousands of people might purchase it. Eyes on Bikes help grow small businesses. His, hers, yours, and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving. We are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 500,000 products and 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns and rides. Scooter? It is great. Did your finger up? And the, you know the first, yeah, I did. Uh, excuse me, excuse me. Um, that first bike. I, I'm looking at that too. I certainly need to. Uh, that yeah. Bike. Anyone? Anyone? Um, bra breaking news. Bra breaking news. Before you talk, you are Scott McGrory is under investigation for potential weight doping breaches from the UCI. <laughs> <laughs> 
Tracy Gaudry. Gregory, UCI is listening. That's right. Yeah, my, my former teammate, Tracy Gaudry. Yeah, okay. Right. I, I didn't say I did. I'm just theorizing. Asked on behalf of a friend. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> um, hey, look, we talk about the Tour of Spain, oh, right? Sorry. Just a yep. quick fact, just, just to recap yep. on, on the Tour of Spain. On the start of August, there were 4,000 cases, right? So they went right down. They were down to around 1,000 cases a day. At the start of August, they were at uh, 4,000 cases. The 1st of September, September was around 8,000 cases, and they're now hitting around 13,000 cases a day. So it has just been going up all the way. Yeah. And, of course, that, you know, we know that in Madrid, they're about to go into a hard lockdown. Um, so I, I'm very doubtful about whether, not, not whether it should go ahead, uh, will go ahead, but whether it should at all, considering, you know, the public health. And that's, that's the challenge. That's the challenge. Yeah. Mm. Well, people are saying now, like Kathleen's saying, I think this is past becoming a cluster. This is a cluster. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> Ryan, McMillan, Ryan McMillan wants to know, why couldn't Zwift build into their system a live weight measuring device to prevent weight doping? Yeah, well, I think what they need to do, Ryan, is form a partnership with someone like Wahoo or similar, and that you got to you weigh yourself, and that goes in, then gets measured the same way as your wattage output gets measured. They need to do some sort of system like that for it to be a Olympic event or World Championships or something. That's yeah. a really um, I think good point. For now, I think it's all also about you've got to think about it's a, it's a commercial business, right? So if that cost is going to be extraordinary to make it a lot slightly more fair for everybody. It just comes down to basic economics. They're, they're out to make money. You know, it is a gaming yeah. company that is involved in fitness first and foremost. Yeah, yeah, but that's not for everybody. That's for if you want to enter this elite level race, you've got to make this, you know, the same way as you, you can, you know, you spend X amount of dollars on a bike, you've got to spend this amount of money on the right equipment to verify your weight. Well, even yeah. if you want to be a professional cyclist, it's, you know, so a normal racing license, you say in Australia, what is it now, $300 or something like that? Yeah. Um, but if you want to have an international racing license, it goes up to about $1,000. So then you have That's to actually invest. Yeah. yeah. Um, that question that popped up before was Ryan again. He says, do teams have any concerns about the riders post-COVID recovery and their aerobic capacity with all the unknowns and potential long-term side effects? I think in the short term, they're just trying not to get positives with COVID. Well, and then Bri no one Bridie really knows actually, the side effect yet. Bridie actually touched on that when, when she was on a couple of days ago. And she talked about some of the uh, American uh, uh, teams, some of the athletes in some of the American sports who have gone positive and that they are having uh, 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 ongoing respiratory challenges. So it obviously is going to be uh, uh, something that they all have to look at seriously. I must yep. have had it when I was 12 then because I never had very good lung capacity, John, when I was racing. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is a common sentiment. Unfortunately, the horse horses bolted. There will be more cases, sadly. Too many uncon uncontrollable variables outside the team environment and dealing with the complacency of people outside the team bubbles. I mean, that's just going to be a common theme with everything that's coming out. Um, but I thought I thought it was a good question for myself about they're gonna, they're going to need a case study with yeah, what's happened with Mitchell and Scott because they're going to want to know how did this happen. Excellent um, question, Dan. Mm, Full thanks, thanks. I love it. Don't look so surprised, Matt. What, oh, one not. thing we're good at on this show is self-congratulatory pats on the back. Yeah. We love it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Kathleen said uh, there is also cardiac concerns. Hospitals are setting up special COVID cardiac clinics to follow up with patients long term. Mm. Uh, okay, so Caroline Harbeck says. Would one of you knowledgeable lads explain how a climb gets its category of one up to HC 
is it meters of climbing and percentage of gradient added together? I've often wondered and have been asked, but I have no bloody idea. I see the numbers and combinations and my legs ache for the riders. Kino. <laughs> you want me to answer this or you want race director Scott McGrory to answer this? <laughs> hey, well, no HC, no HC um, category climbs in the Giro d'Italia or in the Jaco Herald Sun Tour. So it really is, depending on the race, okay? So in the Herald Sun Tour, we'll have category one, two, three, um, I'm not even sure if we go down to Category 4, but typically 1, 2, and 3. And our Category 1 climbs aren't the same as the ones in the Tour de France. So they're, they're, we may have you know, something like Falls Creek or Mount Buller, Mount Hotham, so the three prominent ones that we have often. Um, and they are big, long climbs, but if we don't go to that region, then we'll still have Category 1 climbs, but they won't be the same as what you'll see at the Tour de France. So it really depends from race to race, and it will be a combination of length versus gradient. So a shorter climb that is very steep, we'll still get a Category 1 or HC if you're at the Tour de France. Um, if it's slightly shallower for a long time, we saw the other day we had a Category 3 at the Giro that was, um, I think it was 17 k's long. So, you know, it just depends. Uh, and it's a combination. They'll look at each of the climbs. There's not a particular formula that we work with um, mm. to actually determine exactly what category it will be. It just, um, you know, the hardest race in the climb in, in the Tour for us, in the Jake, in the Jake Herald Sun Tour, that will be categorised at the highest level, and then we just basically work backwards from there. Yeah, and it's part, it's part science and it's part art, as Scott alluded to. So the length of the climb and the gradient of the climb, and then also where that climb comes in the race. So yeah. you could have a 10-kilometre climb, for example, that is at the start of a stage and it's in week one of the tour versus it is at the end of a 200-kilometre day and it's the fifth climb of the day. All of a sudden, it gets upgraded because you're exhausted by the time you get to the bottom of it. Yep. Uh, yeah, we, we, now, do, we do have plenty of HC climbs in uh, the Giro. They just don't call them HC. They just call them Cap 1s because I yeah, think the, yeah. the climbs here are actually in the, in the Giro are actually harder than the Tour de France normally. But uh, it's exactly that. It's a combination of uh, the gradient, the length, the uh, and, and if it's a really short, if it's a short climb and it has a really, like if it's a category one climb and it's only three Ks long, you know it is super, super steep. It's going, it's going back on itself. It's going back on um, But the, the, yes. ones that, the, the ones that really upset the riders are the, the ones they get for free, the ones that aren't categorised that aren't categorized. steeper than some oh, of the yeah. categorised climbs themselves. I've had, um, especially in Spain, Spain do it a lot. You'll get to the top of a, a, a KOM, have the sprint, and then they'll turn off and go higher for another couple of kilometres. Um, yeah. Uh, not and they, don't call them, they don't call them H, so they don't call them all category in Spain. They call them especial, and they are especial. We've got another comment. This is from Joe Pesci and the Geelong Mafia, Vazzy J. Dan, the team mascot is untouchable. <laughs> Apparently you're not going anywhere. Oh, Wendy Superfan, she's just read the news. Hi, guys. I've arrived home from the club to hear this sad news, I hope. All who get tested, pause, get well soon. Thanks, Brent, for coming on the detour. The only, the only thing I don't like about that from Wendy is she's showing off that she lives in Tasmania. She gets to go to a club whilst she can't go more than 5Ks from home in Victoria. Yeah. And Gary T says, there's a bit of a worry when the team doctor tests positive. Well, that yeah. also shows you know, how strong the virus is in terms of you know, so there's somebody that knows how to take all the precautions, but if you're exposed to it, it's really hard to defend yourself against. And Nathan Huss has just tweeted a moment ago about Sunweb and Mitchelton Scott being two of the teams that he's observed from the outside as having the most stringent protocols and they've still had positives. So it's a really difficult virus to be able to manage. 
Well, they were strict on um, germs and that long before COVID. Like, they wouldn't let Hiffy and his cronies on the bus for years. Had nothing to do with germs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got off with cronies you couldn't get off. Uh, well, that that's a pretty big show, boys. Um, I think uh, we did a good job to cover something. Oh, it was great of Brent stuff. to come on. Under those circumstances, yeah. Brent to come on, I thought that was massive of him as the general manager of the team. That is the story of the day. Yeah, yeah definitely. Sure. Now, I think um, before we go, we've got yes. to go uh, our picks for the for the stage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you're kidding, aren't you? I've paid no attention to the stage today, given what is going on. You go John, first, John. We can have a night off, mate. Someone will win. Someone. I, I, I'm going for uh, Sagan. Okay, I'll have Demar. Demar. Oh, I don't know. Yep. Demar? Yeah, Demar, I'll go Demar. Demar. Yep. Um, Sagan's a good pick. Yep. Good luck to you. I don't know. He is a good oh. pick. I'm oh. looking through the start list. Pe- Pesci, Pesci's fired back. Enough with the cronies, Dan. Jeez, it could be on here. Well, he's one of them. That's why. Um, breakaway breakaway opportunity because mm. the way it goes towards the end from that cat three, which is nasty, there is a solid opportunity for someone like Ulusi who could sneak away and that in those you know closing forty k's from in a small group, um, and it yeah. might not be a bunch sprint at all. I think that's a really smart call. Mm. All right, so you're in the Lucy, you have Sargon, I'll take Demar. Someone will win. Trust yeah. me. All yeah, right, not, I'll, I'll not Michael Matthews. Yeah, fingers crossed. We have 24 hours, drama-free from the Giro. We could go back to some sort of normality and we'll be discussing the race tomorrow. But um, what are we going to do with live crosses with Whitey, Ify? We'll just get him in his quarantine hotel. Uh, We'll let him have a break. uh, I've been texting him back and forth. He's in the bus, got a 3,000-kilometre bus trip at the moment in the the team bus down to Spain and then a 700-kilometre drive to his hotel. Uh, I heard heard you give him a bit of breathing space, mate, just a little bit of breathing space. I I I No, 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 um, I I disagree. I think because you'll be on the Reds, mate. We'll get the best out of Whitey. (laughs) Yeah. I heard a whisper that Sir David Brailsford was going to be subbing in for Matt White each night with five minutes little updates, If Is that true? Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yeah. You'd never let me down. No. Hey, I, wonder, I wonder how is he, how's, how's Luke going. Is he, is he awake yet? Luke, Luke who? We're going to Luke Rowan. Where's Luke Rowan? Uh, is he awake Rowie. yet? Where is he? Is he awake? Um, no, nah, hang on. on. Keep talking. Um, we can yeah, get him on now. I'll really, this would be the latest he would have got up, so we could certainly get him on now. Yeah. Hang on, yeah. hang on. I think, I think I think we might have a live cross ready for Rowie. Yeah. Rowie, are Here you there? <laughs> no, no, no. Still asleep. No. Still asleep. No. Still in bed. He's not, he's not there. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll get him. All right. Well, that, that wraps another big show. We'll see you again tomorrow at 7.30. We don't know who we're going to have on. We probably should go to Phil Liggett and get him on and talk about his new documentary. Well, Phil, Phil's ready to go. I was talking to Phil only an hour ago, and he heard he, he rang me. He said, I hear a whisper that I'm going to be on your show. And I said, no, nah, we just gave you the flick, mate. Sorry. <laughs> but he didn't know. And I said, Mr. Lewis got out of He didn't know he was on the show, but he knew he was flicked. On that yeah, it's like a John Travara experience. <laughs> if you do want to join um, oh. Phil, hang on, breaking news. If you do want to join Phil, go to Telstra Connected Cycling, Scotty. I think they've got him on tomorrow at 7 a.m. So uh, if you go... No, no, maybe, is it earlier than that, maybe? not se- Maybe 
Maybe six thirty. Well, yeah, yeah, I probably should. Have. Either either way, I rang him. He was uh, he was actually 650. talking to Sandy. He was talking to Sandy on the other phone when I spoke to him. The film yeah. is being launched at the Adelaide Film Festival on this weekend. I think maybe on the twenty second of yeah. October. I've had the privilege of having a sneak preview of it, and it is fantastic. When you get the opportunity, yeah. go and see it. It is more than the commentator Phil Liggett. It is the life of Phil and his wife Trish. And the way they've weaved Paul into it is absolutely magnificent. It's beautiful. Beautiful yeah, film. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, Looking... I, I was just going to say, I think it's 6.50 or 7 o'clock a.m. I think it's gone later. So that's the Telstra Connected Cycling event. Um, oh, the, good, you know... the, good news is, the good news is, Dan, that my wife has now put the kids to bed, so it's time for me to go and sit on the couch. I've managed to get out of that this evening. <laughs> yeah. oh, I, hey, I might be in trouble when I get downstairs. Two things. Um, yeah, yes. yes, as as Matt said about um, the Phil Liggett doco, because most people, they hear these stories about Phil and he loves his animals, etc. This goes straight into it. It is amazing. It really shows where he lives in South Africa and the animals and, you know, the elephants out the window of his house. Um, so it really is a, a good insight. It's almost like being, you know, in inside, you know, what was that movie, um, being John Malkovich inside the head. Yes. This is like yeah. that with Phil Liggett. It's fantastic. Um so, yeah, it, it's certainly something worthy yeah. of seeing for sure. We'll, we'll get Phil on tomorrow night. Yeah. If you're not sure how you, uh, the general public can connect to the Telstra Connect situation, but um, Sandy or Alexander Sandy Woolley, who from Telstra has been running that, Duncan Armstrong, Olympic gold medalist in swimming from 1988. He's the guy that does all the hostings and interviews. I think, Matt, you've done it. I've been yep. interviewed on it as well. And they put it's, this together right at the start of the outbreak. And Seven a.m. Right tomorrow. Through, yeah, they've gone yep. right through the whole uh, the whole time, it's interviewing, um, getting on Swift, interviewing different people, and it's been a way of really connecting. You know, at the start it was just staff members from Telstra, um, and then that's expanded to a lot of other people. So it's been a great and, thing that they've done. And I heard you used to ride until they couldn't verify your weight, so they gave you the ass. But Tracy anyway. Gordon yeah, got in contact every week. with them. Yeah, Tracy. <laughs> I thought she was on my side. Tracy. Well, Tra Tracy, uh, you know, who, who's the Oceana representative for the UCI, as we know, and, and former vice president of the UCI and uh, uh, the boss of the tra uh, of the Gill Foundation for quite a few and years. And a dobber. And she's a dobber. And a dobber. She's going to be on the show in the next couple of days as well. She's, uh, uh, she's great. De yeah. Details on Facebook. Follow Telstra Connected Cycling in Facebook. There you go. So Phil Liggett's on first thing tomorrow morning. And if you missed that, you can join him on the detour live because we will not give him the ass tomorrow night. See you at 7.30. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>